listening to My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. Each episode, we look at the topics that can make our working lives difficult and explore how you can take action to improve things. We want to help you move from simply surviving work to thriving at work. My Pocket Psych is brought to you by Work Life Psych, a team of workplace psychologists who are experts in coaching, training, and structured development programs. You can find out more about how we help people grow and develop at work by visiting our website, worklifepsych.com. Hello and welcome to My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. I'm Richard McKinnon and I'm joined as ever by my co-host Pilar Orti. Pilar, how are you? I am very well and still recovering from the philosophical discussion of the last episode, I have to say. <laughs> how would you summarize that philosophical episode, Pilar? Um, uh, your thoughts are your thoughts. Embrace them and do something with them. <laughs> There we go. Yeah, don't run away. Don't try change them. It was all about the diffusion aspect of uh, acceptance and commitment therapy or, or psychological flexibility skills. So um, welcome, listeners, to this, the fifth in a series all about psychological flexibility in action. A quick recap, if you've um, listened to the podcast for the first time, welcome. You're kind of midway through a series, so you can always go back. And the, the first episode in this particular series was episode 53, when we were joined by Ross McIntosh, who's an ACT practitioner. Um, he's the presenter of the People Soup podcast, which I do want to plug again, because it's very entertaining, very educational. It's a real joy to listen to. Ross is great. Um, then in episode 54, we had an interview with Dr. Rachel Skews from Goldsmiths. Her PhD is in using ACT principles in coaching contexts. So we had a great discussion all about acceptance and commitment theory, which is what we're talking about being used in, in coaching. Um, then in episode 55, we talked about another one of the principles, this mindful attention on the here and now, mindful focus on the present, which is another of the key principles, paying attention now. Then episode 56 was this diffusion episode, which we called seeing thoughts for what they are. And, and it should say then in, in parentheses, not what they say they are. And that's the key skill of diffusion. This episode's going to be a little bit different. Um, while it's nice to have you with me today, Pilar, I'm actually going to turn my attention now a little bit away from us. <laughs> oh, all the thoughts that are coming to my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you why later, but no, um, we're actually moving from London uh, all the way to Hong Kong. And um, next up, I've got an interview with Dr. Austin Tay, who is a, an occupational psychologist um, based out of Hong Kong, but he works all over Asia, as, as you'll hear in the interview. And he's an ACT practitioner. I've known him for about eight years now. Uh, we used to work in the same business um, qu quite some time ago. And um, he's going to tell us all about his career to date. He's going to tell us about his interest in acceptance and commitment theory and how he uses these processes to build psychological flexibility in quite varied, uh, diverse audiences and in diverse locations all around Asia. So I thought I'd drop this interview at this point in this series. So um, there's a few things he mentions in passing, just a, a quick primer. Remember, ACT stands for Acceptance and Commitment Theory. Um, and uh, Contextual Behavioral Science, that's mentioned a few times, that's the umbrella term for the whole area that we're looking at. And acceptance and commitment theory fits into that. And if we're practicing all of these skills, the output we're hoping for 
is psychological flexibility. So just a, a quick note on the terminology there. Sometimes these are used uh, interchangeably, but you know, we, we use them in, in the interview there. So I thought people uh, might find a bit of a glossary useful. I want to thank Austin again for dialing in uh, nighttime, his time with the, with the time difference and everything. And it was great to talk with him. Um, and he said it was okay to share his profile. And Austin has just joined the League of Podcasting Psychologists. Uh, he has a new podcast. So I'm going to share a link to that as well in the show notes. Next time, Pilar, we're going to come back for episode 58 and talk all about discomfort. Wow. So I hope you look forward to that. <laughs> I get all the good ones. <laughs> but, but we will make it interesting and we will make it useful and we will make it practical. But for now, listeners, thanks for joining us today. I hope you really enjoy this interview with Austin. Uh, he's a hoot. And if you've got questions or you've got comments on this episode, uh, message us on Twitter at mypocketpsych or send us a longer message via the contact form at worklifepsych.com slash contact. But for now, thanks for listening. So I'm delighted to be joined uh, today by Dr. Austin Tay, who is a psychologist based in Hong Kong. And uh, we had a brief chat before we started the recording, and, and Austin has clarified for me that we first met back in 2012. So as we're recording in, in 2020 now, that's that's quite some time. Uh, Austin, hello, how are you? Hi, Richard. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Uh, not a problem. It's I'm great to delighted. be in touch with yeah. you. So uh, before we get into the what you do and um, uh, how you put your skills into practice, it would be great to hear a little bit about you, um, how you've arrived at where you are and what your career to date has looked like. Sure. Um, you might not know, actually. I, I started working way back in 1995. Uh, in various industry, I was in the coffee industry. I was in the sales con uh, construction sales, and also in security job. I was trained as a coffee taster, and eventually I was a bit disillusioned. You know, after working for so long, working and dealing with people, and uh, something dawned on me. I said, "Well, I'm going to study psychology," and I picked up and, and decided I was going to the UK to study. And I went in 2001 first studying psychology with law and uh, still not knowing what exactly I wanted to do, but I was quite smitten by the law and I decided, well, you know, be a lawyer. That's what everybody does anyway. So I converted my degree to a law degree in London and came back to Hong Kong, where I was uh, based since 1995 from Singapore. And when I came back, I was working with a kind of internship I hated every day of it because it was so boring. I mean, that is, it's one thing about reading a, a course or, or studying something and, and doing the actual work. Uh, that kind of propelled me to go like, you know, maybe law is good to read but not to actually practice. And then I was actually working with, with a company that deals with uh, security uh, manpower. So the company that I work for, we kind of supply uh, ex-Gurkha soldiers on uh, cruise ships and also as bodyguards here in Hong Kong. This sounds so like the beginning of a film, if I may say. I so it's a great <laughs> script. <laughs> well, Netflix, yes, if you're interested, please talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, kind of, I, I, I was quite lucky. I was able to come back to Hong Kong to work. And then I kind of stumbled upon 
um, a distant learning master's in uh, occupational psychology from Leicester. And I was working, I know I didn't want to go back to the UK again. So I said, well, I'll do that. I don't mind doing that. Two years, it should be all right. It should be fun. Uh, it was excruciating, as, as you can mention. Um, I did the course and I remember we had about 15 people on the course and I think four in Hong Kong. I was the last one standing. <laughs> so it was a great achievement. <laughs> um, and that kind of accelerated. We were in 2008, I think. By then, I, got, I graduated in 2007. And I started my first uh, job as a psychologist in 2008. Uh, and that was my first job. And, of course, I was enjoying it. I uh, was able to kind of uh, use my skills in the commercial sector to you know, do a lot of business development, promote the, the, the craft, and, and also learn as I go along. Uh, but of course, in 08, towards the end of 08, Lehman Brothers went bankrupt, mm. and uh, everybody else got affected. So did I. <laughs> and uh, uh, I decided I was going to leave the company that I worked for and kind of venture out on my own. Because I, I wasn't ready to kind of stop learning, and the the kind of focus from the organization kind of deviate from what I wanted to learn. They wanted to do a bit more outplacement work, and I wanted to learn a bit more about assessment and development then. So I came out and started doing my uh, my kind of consulting work on my own. And very luckily, the following year, I got a couple of projects and started you know doing things on my own. Um, creature. Of, of habit, you know, like to be talking to people, uh, felt a bit lonely after a while for about two years as a consultant on, on my own. I started venturing back into corporate world and subsequently worked for two other companies uh, in, in consulting. And in 2014, I left my last job and decided the next chapter of my life is to pursue a PhD. And I did, <laughs> uh, did that, and I did it in London. I got, uh, I finished my PhD in 2018, towards the end of 2018. Um, I just got my uh, certification in well, uh, 2019 this year. Uh, did my my defense and uh, went for my graduation this year. And so now I'm a full-fledged doctor. Well, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> um, you know, we had a brief chat about it before we started recording, and it, it, it sounded like, you know, a real achievement and, and quite the journey. And like many psychologists I know, you, your career path has not been a straight line from A to B, um, and that's really interesting. Yes, it's, it's kind of weird. I, I guess it, it, it kind of set up how I'm actually functioning as a psychologist too. Mm. Because, um, you know, with, with all that work experience before, um, becoming a psychologist, you know, I always tell people that I become a bit more compassionate and I understand why people make certain decisions and, and why people behave in certain ways. And I kind of take a step back and realize, mm, yeah, okay, now I understand. And I, I see things very differently too. Mm-hmm. And with with the kind of uh, uh, learnings that I have throughout my years, well, I've been working as a psychologist. I was just counting just now. It's about 12 years. So that is a long time in a way. Uh, mm-hmm. But throughout these 12 years, I've been doing lots of different things, which is quite exciting. Um, and based in, in, in Asia especially, uh, being trained in the UK, I always have this very British mindset. Everything has to be British kind of uh, uh, 
qualified or, or approved. So I'm, I'm kind of an advocate for the British Psychological Society. Uh, when I came back, I was very proud of all my certification, you know, being a member of the British Psychological Society. Um, I kind of like to promote that. So I got myself involved in a couple of things here. Um, I, I first joined the Division of uh, Industrial Organization Psychology here in Hong Kong um, as an executive member a couple of years ago. And then eventually now I'm actually holding the uh, chair for the division. And this is part of the Hong Kong Psychological Society, which incidentally this, this year uh, I actually hold the president role too. So I got two hats to wear uh, for, for these two roles that I have. Um, with, with all these things that I do, I, I actually learn a lot of things. And especially in the division uh, for the IO psychology, um, I see there's a great gap here in, in Hong Kong, especially because um, when I speak to clients or I talk to uh, people in organization, the first thing I always get is, so you are HR then? And I always have to go, no, I'm not Isha. Mm. Uh, I, I'm a psychologist. There's a slight difference. So there is a, there's always this thing of trying to explain what I do. And when I explain to them, they go, well, why do I need you? I can get Isha to do that because they are cheaper. They are already paid. I don't need to pay you for that. Mm. <laughs> but, but it's one of those, those kind of uh, misconceptions. So my job as, as the chair for the division is to promote what we do, and we are doing a lot of uh, stuff here in Hong Kong, uh, especially we are inviting speakers to come and talk to us uh, from non-psychologists too, uh, to share with us about uh, what they are going through in our organization. Because I always believe that, you know, we can be an expert in certain things, but there's so many things to learn. We still need to understand the pain points the uh, organizations are facing and mm. what can we do and learn as a psychologist. So I'm, I'm kind of a sucker for learning. And, and you probably know I, I kind of tweet a lot. I read a lot of stuff from Flipboard and, and I kind of very into what's the trend, uh, especially uh, in, in the Western part of the world. So I always like to kind of encourage people to read more and bring those ideas to Asia. Uh, so, yeah, kind of a lot of things uh, to do, you know, but uh, always not enough time. You, you <laughs> sound like a very busy guy. Well, in a way, yes. But then at the same time, sometimes I kind of ponder, what have I achieved? You know, have I done enough? And and always wanting to do a little bit more um, and have a very strange way of, of kind of categorizing my thing. I, I think it's what... I call uh, very organized chaos. Mm. So very chaotic in my thoughts, but then I'll put them on paper or on my iPad and then I will forget all about them. And one day I will look at them and go, oh yes, that was the idea I wanted to do. Let's let's explore that again. So yeah, I think it helps to be that excitable about new things. Yeah. So, interested yeah. and passionate. I'm, I'm getting a lot of that from you in, in our conversations, which is great. And, and I think you make a very good point, which is the experience that people bring to work as a workplace psychologist is so important. And having a diversity of experience behind you enables you to better understand the contexts where you work or have an appreciation for the diversity of contexts. And I know when I'm asked by early career uh, workplace or occupational psychologists or those that are, you know, doing their postgraduate training. Um, what should I do next? It's go into the workplace, doing any job anywhere so that you can better understand what it's like to be at work 
in a workplace rather than going straight into a, a psychology job so that you can uh, put all of this into context. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is one of those things that I always see young graduates. You know, they, they, they feel that I have now graduated with a master's. I can do everything. I say, well, this is the, the worst learning curve you're going to have because you are literally nothing in the consulting world. You have to learn from scratch. So you have to be humble and uh, learn how to network. And I think this is one thing that I see a lot in Asia, young psychologists uh, having this fear about talking to uh, people who has been in the industry for a long time. I say, you know, the worst thing that could happen is they snub you. They don't want to talk to you. But why bother? Go and try and talk to them. Because mm. if, if you do that, they'll be very willing to share with you. Because I, I think people who are very experienced, they don't mind sharing if you are you know, if they've been asked to share. And, and I see a lot of uh, my colleagues here in, in Hong Kong, they do that. And it's just, you know, I have this thing about trying to help a lot of young psychologists here in Hong Kong, to, you know, how to actually talk to people, how to, to best network on uh, social platforms, social network platforms, uh, you know, write to them, tell them you want to have a, a coffee, 10 minutes of that time, would they be willing to share some insight stuff like that and at, I think this is where you accumulate friendship at the same time and at the same time mentors along the way uh, which I think there's still a lot more things that I would like to do with the young psychologists uh, in Asia also in predominantly not, not just in Hong Kong Re recently I kind of decided I was going to reach out to a lot of universities in Asia uh, that you know, probably has a, a course in, in occupational psychology or IO psychology and kind of want to link up with them and share with them my insight of the industry and, and uh, kind of guide them along what you need to be doing before you come out actually looking for a job. Because I, I like to share that because I, I was a mature student and when I changed my career and I came back to working as a psychologist, I realized all my past experience of networking and you know, being sociable and, and talking to people really helps. Mm. So it's, it's very helpful if I could pass those things down. And I love to do that. And I love to see when people uh, get a job because they, they actually try, you know, using all those stuff that I share. And it's always very rewarding to see young psychologists uh, uh, achieving in that way. Yeah. Fantastic. I mean, it's really nice mm. to hear. I'm really interested to learn a little bit more about what it is that you, you do. What, what areas do you specialize in or what might a typical day or week look like for you uh, as a psychologist working in Hong Kong? Sure. Um, I do kind of bread and butter stuff, you know, the assessment work, uh, leadership development. Uh, one of my passion really is, is kind of training because as you can tell, I'm talking a lot. So <laughs> being, being, being able to talk is, is fantastic. And I love doing training because I, I love the the instant gratification, I guess, the the, the kind of aha moment when, when the participant go, oh, yes, I understand what you just said. And, and that kind of interaction, the immediate interaction, and uh, it's something that I enjoy a lot. Um, and the, the other thing that I quite like doing is also outplacement, uh, career transitioning. People that uh, I know not many uh, psychologists do that uh, but I because I was you know my first job was in a recruiting uh, firm so I got to know and understand how recruitment uh, works 
So when it comes to uh, dealing with uh, career transitioning or our placement, uh, it was a natural thing for me. And I love to help people uh, kind of look at their CV, help them to tidy up their CV, help them along the line of, you know, doing a interview, uh, prepare them for the interview, uh, get that offer, how do they negotiate. That really fascinates me a little bit. And, and, and through that, it kind of connects with also coaching work that I do because they're quite similar in certain ways because you're facing someone and you're talking to them and you're helping them to, to have clarity uh, in whatever they do. Um, and that kind of makes me very happy when I'm able to help people. Um, when people come back to me and say, you know what, I've got a job and I was able to solve a certain issue because we went through the different uh, ways of doing it and looking at the, the things in a different way, the perspective. Uh, that really, really makes me very happy. So as I always tell a lot of my, my peers, I'm probably the poorest psychologist in Hong Kong because to <laughs> me, I, I I like to make people happy rather than overcharge people for, for certain services. And sometimes I'll tell my clients, why do you need to do certain things? Because I don't see the value add for me to kind of help you. I can advise you how to do it, uh, but don't spend the kind of money because it's not necessary to do so. So yeah, I'm a very bad salesperson for myself, but I, I love to promote the craft. And that, that is what excites me. I mean, being a psychologist, to me, helping people is priority. Um, money is secondary. It makes sense. <laughs> it, it does. I, I understand completely. I mean, you know, you never know. Maybe um, this episode will get some listeners in Hong Kong and your phone will be ringing off the hook and uh, people want to speak to you locally. Now, we've oh. touched on it before, um, some of our shared interests. And one of those is around the, the area of acceptance and commitment theory slash psychological flexibility. I know that that was um, a, a feature of the research you did for your, your PhD. Mm. What is it mm. about the ACT uh, perspective that you particularly like and find useful? When I first came across ACT, it was quite strange uh, because, as, as, as you mentioned, I was doing my uh, research for my PhD. Workplace bullying was, was the topic I wanted to do. But I wanted to do something different. I didn't want to do what everybody else have done, uh, talk about antecedents, the causes, uh, etc. No one actually touched on intervention in terms of how bullied individuals can help themselves. So I was looking through the internet and then I found Frank Bond, uh, Goldsmith, uh, and then I went to see him. I said, look, Frank, this is my idea and I see there is something, there's a connection there. Uh, so I want to actually use ACT to, to, uh, as part of my uh, intervention for my research. And I remember specifically, he told me, go back and read some more. I don't think you are quite right there, but go back and read some more. I said, okay, I will do that. And I, I, I stood my ground and I decided that was what it's going to be. Use that for uh, my research. And why I decided to use ACT was because first, no one else has actually used ACT in, in workplace bullying. Secondly, because it is such a practical tool. And when I went through the course itself, I, I did it with Russ Harris. I also did that with Contextual um, Consulting in London. I had fantastic time learning about a concept. And it just dawned on me why nobody's actually using this to help a lot of people, especially 
people who are actually working in an organization that's going through stress or going through hard times at work, this is such a practical tool. And I think when I started learning about it and using it and applying it in all the things that I do, I see people get it immediately. There was no kind of um, going back to trying to find the root cause of why you're feeling unhappy, the root cause of why you're ruminating. It's more of, okay, we accept what you have, all the thoughts that you're going through in your head, all the emotions that you are experiencing. But what's next? What do you really want to do? Do you want to be stuck here ruminating about it or do you want to move forward? And I think that becomes a very, very interesting way of engaging people. What is more important to you? Getting stuck here, thinking about you could have done this, I would have been great if I did this, or let's move on and look at it differently. You know, if I spend too much time ruminating, what is it taking me away from? Why shouldn't I be spending more time going towards the thing that matters to me? And I think that was a instant love about this too. Mm. Uh, and that's why I, I love it. I, I use it for all my, my work that I do. I train people in that. I, I also talk about using that in coaching, um, any other possibilities I could, you know, opportunities I could use, I will use it, even in terms of uh, personal life and with friends. Of course, they don't know that I'm using that. Uh, being a psychologist, I'm very sneaky sometimes. I throw things into my conversations <laughs> and make people think. And I think that helps when they have that kind of, you know, glint in their eyes. Go, oh, yeah, that was a revelation. And, you know, for me, that is very comforting and, and nice to know. Yeah, I have just helped someone looking at it differently. So that, that's why it attracts me a lot uh, to act. I, I think you, you've really highlighted something that I identify with as well. The, the light bulb moment that people experience when you explore the fact that they're using up time and energy to think and think and think and go over thoughts rather mm. than time and energy to do something about their situation or just leave that stuff behind and move in a different direction. And and this notion of being able to see um, uh, events or see yourself from a different perspective is really mm. helpful. Um, yeah. and, and I think just, just being able to explore someone's behavior in terms of, you know, away moves versus towards moves, you know, the things mm. you do out of habit or to avoid discomfort or, you know, to avoid the problem and the things that you do that are more in line with the person that you want to be. And, and here, just between us, you know, we've, we've oversimplified, uh, you know, a massive set of theory and, and yes. evidence. But you're able to do that with ACT, which is something that I really like. You can be creative mm. with it. You can be flexible with it. And and you can help it land with someone in a way that they can grasp almost immediately. Yeah, definitely. I mean, with, with the kind of metaphors that we use in ACT and also the skill sets that we, we, we kind of use, um, it, it always you know, makes me very happy when, when I'm able to get a group of 20 or 30 people to just be mindful and, and sit and and start doing the breathing exercise. Because to me, that's the best way for people to kind of calm down and enjoy the present moment. So I go around with you know, doing trainings with this uh, Japanese kind of, uh, what do you call that, uh, bell that I use to kind of calm everybody down. And I'll hit that on the one or twice and get everybody settled down. And then start doing all those uh, different skills that I introduced, uh, mindfulness. Um, one of the other exercises I use quite a bit is, is the uh, 
word repetition task, Tichano. Um, mm. And I use the uh, cartoon voice, which, which I love because I always see that smile when people get it immediately. They kind of, oh, yes, Donald Duck is actually repeating my, my negative thought or emotion. And then they started smiling and they was like, yes, that's it. I've just got a breakthrough with them. And they enjoyed it. And it is something that they could bring with them after the training to apply it immediately. It's not something that you need to do exercises or you need to do homework and then kind of come back to it and then you know, talk to your therapy uh, therapist to go through the process again. No, it's kind of, this is what it is. You go back, you could apply immediately. What, one of the other things that I use in my training is um, the matrix, which mm. is a very simple way of using it. And, and people like visual. So when I use that uh, and visualize it with them, they just go, Ah, now it makes sense. Earlier, you know, t- what you were saying, it didn't really click. Uh, one of the examples I had was was quite exciting. I was doing a um, uh, a mental health kind of a seminar for a uh, uh, Swiss bank here in Hong Kong. And, uh, you know, went through, there were like, I think 80 people in the room, which is crazy during lunchtime. And everybody came and I was, it was very daunting because uh, it was a huge, beautiful room and, and everybody was there waiting for that that kind of a special magic one that I'm going to present to them. <laughs> and, and of course, when someone was talking to me, oh, how do I you know, look at uh, accepting all these negative behaviors or negative thoughts that I have? It's impossible. I said, what is it that is actually you know, making you feel that way? Why are you not getting it? And he said, well, look, for example, I want to get promoted to, to the next level. But I'm finding it very difficult because I don't see the opportunity uh, to do so. I say, ah, that's a very good example. Why do you think you're feeling that way? And then we were just exploring in front of everybody else. And I could just see everybody was like, wow, was that a magic show that he just did? You know, there was so much of a light bulb moment. Everybody was going, ding, 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 ding. And I could just go, oh, my God, this is such a good classic way of showing what I was explaining. And with, with someone answer, uh, having that question and able to to help them along the way to make them see in a different perspective, it was so rewarding. And of course, with that, I am, I'm kind of very excited because I'm going to do another session with them in uh, their office in Singapore. So I'm looking forward to all this opportunity where I could, as I said, um, kind of promote ACT in, 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 in the, uh, to everybody, really. Fantastic. And, you know, the, the description that, that you've given there really underlines the importance of understanding the fact that we can put too much weight on our thoughts. You know, they, yeah. they sound compelling, they often sound loud, and they often sound like the absolute truth. And, and that, that skill of diffusion, you know, being able to see the thoughts mm. for what they actually are, um, mm. often just nonsense or mm. uh, a bit of self-criticism or anxiety about something that hasn't even happened yet. You know, anything we can do to step apart from those thoughts depowers them a little and, and takes oh, the yeah. sting out of them. But at the same time, frees us up to go and do something that's more mm. helpful to us and and i think that's one of the one of the topics that you you often do get that light bulb experience when people realize i've been listening to myself all this time and by listening yep. to myself i've been upsetting myself or i've been assuming certain things and as soon as i can see those thoughts as being maybe quite tentative rather than fact based it gives me more options for what i want to do 
And so anything mm. that we can do in the room that illustrates um, the futility of trying to control those thoughts or uh, accept them all as absolute truths, it really takes some of the weight off people's shoulders, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, we, we are also kind of programmed to fight or, or run away from things that we, we feel uncomfortable. And, and when you give them a choice to accept it, it's a very foreign concept to many people. They go, well, I don't want to be in that space to, to actually accept my, my negative thoughts or emotion. And I tell them, well, when you do that, it means you could actually spend more time doing those things that you really want to do or, or to, to people that you, uh, you feel that is important to you. So you won't spend too much time rumination. And I think bringing back to, to my research, that was a, a very uh, interesting concept that I, I used. When I was doing my research, all, all my uh, participants were, uh, were involved in the uh, act training itself. They were, uh, they experienced bullied uh, uh, behaviors when they were working and so forth. And throughout the intervention, I did not even talk about the whole bullying episode. It was only when we did a um, um, kind of wrapped up towards the third session that we had, um, they started telling me, you know, it was fantastic to be able to look at this, uh, going through all those sessions with you, and then reflect on my bullying experience that I was waiting, wasting so much time Thinking about those things, you know, and blaming myself for certain things that's happening to me, I should have actually be able to move on now because now I see it in a different perspective. And those moments were fantastic because they were good qualitative data. And I was just gobsmacked because it was all um, kind of very voluntary from them. There was no kind of guiding them that you should tell me what, what, what it is for you. And then when I compared the data, so there was obviously a, a slight change of the way they, they view certain things. And that is an indication that more people need ACT to help them to see things differently. And, and the, the components of ACT is able to help people who have suffered from PTSD, mental health issue, and now bullying. And of course, this is something that I would love to actually explore a bit further uh, and, and, and help more people who are going through this, this kind of uh, uh, episodes to be able to help themselves. I mean, in, in the UK, uh, more and more people are coming out talking about you know, being bullied in, in the workplace. Likewise, in Asia, uh, we are seeing more and more things are happening here, predominantly uh, in, in countries like Japan and uh, Korea. I, I know, Richard, you love Japan a lot and, <laughs> and your fascination about Japanese stuff. But, you know, Japan and, and, and um, Korea, because of the high rate of uh, suicides, work-related suicides, and also uh, the long hours of working, you know, it has driven a lot of people to, to uh, commit suicide and then people feeling stressed and burned out. So it has come to the point that the government, which which is something worth talking about. The governments in these two countries have actually enacted uh, legislation against workplace bullying, which is fantastic. And of course, I'm using that as an example, uh, using that as, as a good way to kind of talk to people in other parts of Asia. Hey, what, what is Hong Kong doing? What is Singapore doing? What's Malaysia doing? What what the rest of the Asian countries doing? Because this is a good step to make people talk about it. Um, and a lot of times, you know, you, you and myself have been working in... in for a long, long time, um, 
it's part of the culture when you are being shouted at or you're being kind of uh, treated badly because to all of us, it's part of the rite of passage uh, in, in work. Uh, so it's easy for us to kind of accept all this behavior as okay. But when I realized that, you know, apart from doing, when I was doing this research itself, I, it also dawned on me that I actually went through workplace bullying myself without realizing it. On you know, In retrospect, when I was looking at all this behavior that was was actually uh, exhibited and, and people were just doing things to me, those were classic bullying uh, tactics or bullying behaviors, which was an eye-opener. And then that is why I'm so passionate about this, this particular topic, that I want to be able to advocate and also talk a little bit more about it. Um, I'm, I'm kind of very fortunate in a, in a way, when I started doing my research, one of the people that I... I, and one of those organizations I talked to were, were, were law firms, and uh, they were kind of skeptical, you know, because it's a, it's a topic that they wish they could actually sweep up uh, under the carpet. They don't want to talk about it because it's about, you know, face, it's about reputation. Uh, interesting, interesting conversation I have. It, it kind of made me shudder, really, when people actually recognize there are bullying behaviors in their firm, but they can't do anything about it or they don't want to do anything about it. Some of them even outright say, well, no, we do not have uh, bullies in the workplace. It, it got me thinking, why why all that you know, resistance? Uh, of course, kind of accelerate two years after that, um, now I'm being invited by them to go, can you come back and talk to us about this again? Because I think we need to address this a little bit more. Um, a recent... Uh, a report that was done by the International uh, Law Organization, I think, based in the UK, have found that, you know, as, uh, predominantly in the legal industry, workplace bullying is very rife. You know, people are leaving the organization because partners are screaming at them, uh, the young associates and what have you, and then the organization or the culture is not conducive. So people are talking about it now and I kind of, realize that there's more work that needs to be done. But being a lone kind of a, a fighter here in, in Asia, um, I'm using all sorts of avenues to talk about this. And, and one of the things that I like to do is, is to be uh, able to share what I've learned in my research and also from what I have learned in, in, in the space of workplace bullying, to talk a little bit more and, and educate people with it. Uh, and yes, that's, that's kind of my passion too. You know, when my, when, it always get me going when I talk about workplace bullying. <laughs> it, so it, I, it I definitely do apologize comes across. <laughs> no, not at all. That's 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 why we're talking <laughs> is to find out more. That passion certainly comes through. And and as as you were you were telling me about that, it was it was filtering through my mind about the real relevance of act and the the processes of act to a traumatic event like bullying and also for those people who see bullying but aren't necessarily impacted by it directly and also those people like yourselves who after the fact realize that was a terrible experience and and the risk that that you bring that with you and that it unhelpfully or negatively impacts how you respond in other contexts that aren't mm. the same. You've left, you've moved on, but you yeah. bring that with you. So I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm beginning to pull the threads together of, of how you can, you know, use your present moment awareness, your diffusion from your thoughts, yep. your towards moves in alignment with your values, acceptance of unwelcome memories and thoughts. You know, it, it does 
I'm just having the realization it really does strike a relevant tone when it comes to these very unwelcome uh, interpersonal behaviors. Yeah. Great to have convinced you. <laughs> you one person now, which is great. <laughs> you have indeed. Back to something you touched on a little bit earlier that we, we talk about a lot when we discuss act and, and psychological flexibility, and that's imagery and metaphors. I had a very interesting conversation with an early career psychologist at the Division of Occupational Psychology Conference just last week about translating act for different environments. Mm. She was from Uganda and, mm. you know, said, I, I, I think I would need to translate some of this, you know, the imagery and the metaphors to make them land. And I, I said that that's exactly right. And it's a fantastic idea. H have you found that you have had to do that in Asia? And are there per any particular um, metaphors or images that land very well with your local audiences? Mm. Interesting. I, I've never thought about that in that way. Uh, no, I, I've never have to kind of translate or kind of use it differently. Uh, perhaps I'm being very selective of the things that I use. Um, things like the cartoon voice, which kind of resonate with people very quickly. Mm. Uh, one of the one of the other exercises I use is the physicalizing exercise, mm -hmm. um, where you know I get them to, to actually uh, recognize where the thought is or the emotion is, and then give it a weight and, and a shape and, and, and a color and so forth. That is always very tricky to do because everybody likes to pop it out of the body and look at it, you know, kind of visualize it and look at the, the negative thought or emotion in a physical uh, uh, element. But then when you ask them to put it back, they go, oh, I hate doing that because it's, it's kind of bringing back the stuff again. And then when I explain why you need to do that, um, then they realize, oh, okay, it makes sense. But I think for my my uh, kind of using act so far, because I am actually doing it predominantly in English, so it was much easier mm. to kind of uh, share those metaphors and imagery itself. But I'm always on a lookout for new things that people do. And one of the great sources, of course, I'm kind of plucking it here already, the ACBS, uh, 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 what do you call it, website. Mm. They have tons of stuff that, you know, as practitioners of X, you could always use them. And I think one of the things that I, I find also very useful is talk to certain people that, you know, you do come, 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 come in contact with in the X community. And a lot of them were very willing to share. I mean, for, for what you were saying, the particular person who is from Uganda, uh, one of the things that I can actually uh, talk about is I'm part of this, this uh, special interest group of ACBS. We are called the Diversity, Equity, and uh, uh, what is the last word? Uh, inclusion, that's right, DEI. So what we do is we kind of act as a platform for those people who are uh, maybe from a, a country that is not so well off or people who don't have access to certain things to uh, talk to ACBS and to maybe offer certain equity or uh, support in, in that way. So if she's interested and she's interested in ACT itself, I'm happy to help her in that way, see how we could actually help her to perhaps translate something or find out people who are willing to do translation. Because I think the whole ethos about um, ACBS is also that they would like to do things without actually uh, kind of charging people for a lot of money. And mm -hmm. especially for those uh, who are from perhaps not so well-off uh, countries, 
uh, we are always willing to help them. So I think that could be a way uh, if she needs those uh, special translation, we could do that. I'm happy to pick it up uh, from, from, from there. Uh, and, and get my colleagues in, in the uh, ACBS to see whether we could do something about it. That, that's really generous of you. Thank you. The, the, oh, the ACBS, all. we have mentioned before, is the Association of Contextual Behavioural Science, and um, contextual behavioural science represents a sort of an umbrella term. Um, yes. And, and uh, you know, the, the, the sciences that sit within that, the approaches that sit within that, act as one of those. And... Mm. Um, in the the uh, I've referenced the ACBS uh, conference that that I attended last year, where they they had it in the and they had it in Dublin for the yes, first I was, time. I was yeah. so annoyed because I was there a week before. Oh really? And yeah, I know, and I was and I have to I have to leave UK after that. I was like, oh, why not? Why why do they have to do this when I'm in the UK? But well, uh, I regularly yeah. direct people to to the ACBS website because yeah. it's a very yeah. generous community, and unlike some sectors or industries where you know it's characterized by paywalls and yep. fees, you know, contextual behavioral science is all about giving away the knowledge, giving away the tools, and um, yep. you know, we we try and reflect that in our practice too, uh, to give yep. people tools and, and insight. And I, I guess that the podcast is is one way. Uh, of doing yes. that yeah definitely Austin I'd just like to thank you so much for your time particularly as it's um it's into your evening right now and <laughs> um you know you, you should be having your your feet up and, and relaxing but it, it's been great to, to touch base with you again I'd like it if I may to direct people to your online profile in in the show sure. notes so that people can find out a little bit more about you and, sure. and maybe ask you some follow-up questions Yes, of course, definitely. I mean, first and foremost, thank you for, for inviting me to be your to be talking on your podcast itself. Love to put all of my profiles on it. And of course, this is a time I could actually plug a little bit here. I already I actually started a new podcast uh, called Site Chat. So if anybody's interested, you can always kind of listen to it. I've just started my first episode, but uh, more to come. And I promise I'm going to be talking about issues that people don't want to listen to, kind of very tough question, uh, tough issues. Um, I have something in mind to talk about workplace bullying in the, in the subsequent issues. So if anybody who's interested in workplace bullying, you can always come in, listen to what I have to say. Fantastic. I will, I will put a link <laughs> in the show notes. Uh, welcome to the podcast, the psychology podcast community. That's great to hear. Yes. Thank you. Fantastic. Well, for now, Austin, a big thank you. And I look forward to speaking with you again soon. Sure. Thank you very much, Richard. Thanks for downloading this episode of My Pocket Psych. To get in touch with questions and feedback, you can tweet us at worklifepsych or leave us a message on the contact form at www.worklifepsych.com/contact. Thanks for listening.